This is the Sexual Alchemy Podcast for men who want to discover and embrace profound confidence, intimacy, pleasure, and connection. I'm Rebecca Lowry, and I invite you to explore who you really are as a confident, sexual, and sensual man. Whether you're dealing with specific sexual issues or you just know there's more to it than you've experienced so far, this is a safe space for you to learn, grow, and expand your erotic potential and possibilities. Hey, before we get into the show, I just wanted to invite you to the Festival of Sexuality. It's happening online April 7th to the 10th, 2022, and we have a fabulous lineup of world-class sexuality educators and facilitators. Sign up for free on my website or in the show notes below. Okay, on with the show. Today, I have a lovely guest for you. She and I had an amazing chat. We've known each other for years and years, but hadn't caught up for quite a while. Her name is Sarah Rose Bright, and Sarah is a leading sex, pleasure, and intimacy coach. She's on a mission to inspire women and couples to discover their pleasure and to feel sexually confident so that they can truly enjoy intimacy and create healthy relationships. I think you're going to get a lot out of our chat. Here we go. Welcome to the Sexual Alchemy Podcast. Sarah, I am so delighted that you are here. Welcome. I am so delighted too. Thank you so much for inviting me. So I've done a little introduction, but tell us about yourself and about your work. Thank you. So yeah, so I call myself a sex and intimacy coach and I work mainly with women and couples and I sort of put it down to three things, helping them to find their pleasure, their playfulness and their passion for life. (laughs) And I've created a, a model called Intimate Sexuality. And so that's the foundation of all my work with women and couples. And I call the model intimate sexuality because a lot of sex that my clients tell me they have is not very intimate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, hands up, I know that place from many, many years ago. So I created a way of talking about sex for people that help them to connect to sex and connection and then connect to themselves, connect to each other in a different way. And that's really the sort of foundation of the work that I do. Oh, I have so many questions for you. That That is juicy. So I wanted to ask you a little bit more about what women and couples come to see you for, but I'm going to hold that one because I want to go back to what you said about intimate sexuality. And because I agree with you, I've had lots of sex that was not intimate myself. I wouldn't prefer that now, <laughs> but I had to learn, you know, about it. So can you talk to us about your, either your definition or model of that? What is intimate sexuality as opposed to not intimate sexuality? So for me, at the foundation of intimate sexuality, the first piece is to be intimate with yourself, to have a relationship with yourself, to know what lights you up, to know, have an awareness of your boundaries and what's good for you, what you have a no to, to be able to voice these things. And to have a level of intimacy is also around vulnerability. It's around the, yeah, the ability to share yourself with another 
And that doesn't mean just about your it's, it's sex. It's that deep intimacy. It's the intimacy of being seen and to not just allow yourself to be seen, but also to see the other. And a lot of this has been inspired by my many years of studying Tantra. And it's, you know, very tantric in its flavor. But I, for a lot of people that I work with, using words like Tantra might feel something that feels over there, like, oh, I'm just, it might feel scary. It might feel all sorts of things. It doesn't feel like it's for them, whether that's forever or right now. And I wanted to create a new language to talk about sex and intimacy. And so this is where the phrase intimate sexuality came from. And so it's looking at what are the components of what makes sex intimate. So also moving beyond the goal-based model of sex, which is a very familiar model that most of us learn, where sex is focused on the goals of orgasm, ejaculation, all these different things. And when we're always facing towards the goal, we're not able to fully be present to the direct experience. And so there's different components to the intimate sexuality model that I use with clients is almost like a diagnostic of, do you do these things? And then they're the baseline for cultivating change because I'm sure you're the same. Many clients come to me thinking that if they learn how to have a number of new sexual positions or the top 10 tips about how to give the best oral sex, that that will sort out their sex life. And actually, as I say to them, that's possibly 10% of what we might do together. The other piece is how we are the way of being. Can we communicate? Can we be vulnerable? Can we show up for, uh, for, for each other? Or for ourselves, um, this is relevant whether you're single, whether you have lovers, whether you're in relationships, it's relevant for everybody. That is all of the awesome. And I think, you know, we're exactly on the same page. You know, that that tantra word draws some people in. They want to know what it is and they're curious and, you know, that. And I think it puts many people off as well. But the foundations, which are my way of talking about that, some of that stuff is it's not what you do in the bedroom. It's who you be, who, you know, who you're bringing and and how much of are you willing to share and show and how much are you willing to see and accept in your partner kind of thing. So it's... um I mean, that's the good stuff, isn't it? <laughs> that's the juicy. And here's a really um, cheesy thing. My One of my teachers used to say, you've probably heard this, you're going to roll your eyes at me. <laughs> <laughs> intimacy is into me see, right? So cheesy, but it kind of works. But it, absolutely, absolutely, 100%. And, and so when we use that word, you know, we roll that word around all the time, but what does it actually mean? <laughs> And what does it mean to be intimate with ourselves? What does it mean to be intimate with each other? Because I certainly wasn't taught how to be intimate with myself. Mm -hmm. I grew up learning how to perform a role of being the good girl and behaving well and all these sort of things. And so I had to let go of all that to really get to know myself. And I couldn't show up in my intimate relationships in an honest and authentic way without having cleared some of that out the way for myself. So it's quite uh, an exciting journey. <laughs> and you've hit on something that's really important. And I've just, it's just clicked to my brain in a new but obvious way, which is whatever gender we are, we get conditioned to perform sex or conditioned to, to be about sexuality in a certain way. And it's not usually authentic or real to who we actually are, which is why. It, sex ends up not being intimate. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, I should be doing this or I should move my body in this way or I should look this way. And there's all the shoulds that just overload the sexual experience. So we we can't be in the flow with our bodies and our experience. And for me, I certainly had to unlearn 
all of that because I thought I was doing sex right, but I also couldn't work out why I wasn't enjoying it when I was doing it right. So I thought the problem was me. I never imagined that the type of sex that I was trying to have was the part of the issue as well as the fact that I was performing it. And that's, I was just doing my best with what I knew. So So that brings me to an interesting thought. I'm going to pose it as a question though. So I work mostly with men and I know that men, certainly men I work with that contact me, they get, their conditioning is around, you know, you should be able to get a stonking heart on. You should be able to keep it for a long time. You should want to use your penis during sex. You should want to penetrate during sex. You know, you're supposed to have certain... So men get conditioned around how they are supposed to be a men and be sexual men. How are women conditioned? Mm, Great question. Great question. And so for women, I mean, for the women I work with, because as we know, there's just a huge variety of, of of, of these conditionings. And for a lot of the women I work with, they've really been conditioned to focus their attention on the male pleasure. And it's very much about all the attention is, is he enjoying it enough? Am I, you know, all that sort of conversation and very little awareness of their own pleasure. In fact, there's many women that I have worked with where when they start to work with me, considering what is actually pleasurable for them is a revelation. And it's the first time they've ever done it. And that doesn't matter whether they're in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond. And so that conditioning runs so deep about pleasing the other, putting the other first for so many women that I work with. And then, of course, there's the other sort of conditioning like I should have an orgasm if I'm going to enjoy sex. My body should look a certain way. I should actually be multi-orgasmic nowadays <laughs> and all of these different things that come into the equation. So they're the sort of common things that I see. And, you know, as you're talking, I'm, I'm nodding my head along because that's the stuff that I was, you know, I was definitely conditioned that, first of all, if a guy was turned on around me, it was my fault and I had to do something about it. Right. It was my, like, I mean, pains me to say that but that was the thing you know a guy could say to you well you got me turned on you have to do something about it you had to give him a blow job or a hand job or something because you know it was your fault that he was turned on I mean that's just and that's that I mean I'm old (laughs) and that narrative is still out there isn't it yeah and not only do something but also see it through to the end that it must end in some form of ejaculation and orgasm for it to be successful, even if you're not enjoying it in the process. Right. That you must just sort of push on through. It's your duty. I mean, you know, these words, we think of that as like the 1950s, but I work with many women who still carry this and don't realize they carry it sometimes. And it's only when we start to unpick it as to why they're not enjoying it or why they're not getting any pleasure that some of these beliefs come out. It almost takes my breath away because, you know, I know from my work that that any cultural conditioning also harms men. For example, this conditioning around women harms men because they hear it. They Maybe they think that also is what women are supposed to bring or the women that they're meeting are so conditioned they can't find their own pleasure, as you say. And so it's, it doesn't help anyone, does it? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Rebecca pulls a funny face. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just like, just, it's just, it's a big mess, isn't it? I mean, it's just a big mess. And so tell me a little bit about, so obviously you've said that women come to you about wanting to 
find their own pleasure, what they like. What are some of the, you know, main, like I call bread and butter things that women come to see you for? Well, interestingly, some women come to find their own pleasure, but for some women, they come to find out why they're not enjoying sex or why they're not feeling any sexual desire. And then it's through our explorations that they're like, literally you can see the light bulb go on as, oh, I don't even consider my own pleasure. No wonder these relationships haven't been fulfilling. No wonder I'm not enjoying sex because it's just such, um, it's just again, so deep. So I see a lot of women, uh, you know, the biggest thing I see women for is like what, how it would be called is low or no desire. And they're not enjoying sex, but they don't know why they don't feel any sexual desire. So they think there's something up with them. They don't know how to communicate for what they want. Even if they did know what they want, they don't know how to communicate that. All of these sort of things and sort of and, and and wrapped up in that is sort of a sexual confidence. They don't feel confident in their sensuality, their sexuality. And a common thing that women also share with me is that they feel disconnected from this aspect of themselves. And some of the women I work with would say that they don't know what connection to that area looks like. It's not ever been there. So they're the sort of uh, really common bread and butter (laughs) themes that I work with. And then with couples, I work with couples who sex, often the woman is, with the heterosexual couples that I mainly work with, the women are experiencing, not experiencing any desire. So that can be the prompt for them to come and see me. And also it might be that sex is just not happening regularly. And one of them has made the sort of move to address this. And, you know, often it's hit, you know, big birthdays coming up when they're reevaluating their life or they, you know, the kids are just going off to school and like, we haven't had sex for five years or, or, you know, these sort of transitions in life can often be the catalyst. So I don't work with couples where they've got, they're about to split up or anything like that. It's, it's, they've got a good foundation in their relationship, but they realize that often they come to me and they say, we're like best mates and we love each other, but we're just not having any sex or the spark's gone and those sort of things. Mm, Awesome. So basically those couples are willing to address it and look at it together, which is awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, there's always one that's slightly more willing than the other or a lot more willing. And you can't, you know, we can't work, for me, I can't work with people if one's not willing and that's where sometimes I might work with one partner and to see what's possible because there is often the case that one partner doesn't want to come and do this work for whatever reason. You know, I've got a number of women I'm working with at the moment where they've come to do the work experiencing low or no, no desire because also they wanted some space to explore it for themselves, um, you know, and, and that can be really healthy too. Mm, that's interesting because I think I see the opposite side where... <laughs> The guys are having whatever issue for them. It might be confidence or they've stopped getting regular erections or sometimes it's that their wife's not interested and they want to know what can they do, you know, and usually, you know, I usually tell them, well, I, I can't, we we can't change your wife, but we can change how you bring yourself to the moment, you know? And so it's interesting to, to hear from the other side. I think we do similar work, but just from a different angle, although I don't work with couples. So, so many questions. Okay, this is a big one, and I feel like I'm jumping from where we were, but I I want to bring it in. What would these women that you work with want to tell their partners? Like, if they, you know, if there was some easy, because communication is a big deal, isn't it? But if if we could snap our fingers and make it easy, what would they want their partners and men to know about them as sexual beings, or about intimacy and the whole the whole picture? Wow. 
what what springs to mind is I have a, a number of women that I'm working with at the moment where they have come to me for low desire, no desire. And as we are unraveling what's happening, and, and often there is an element sometimes that also the men go, it's you that's got the low desire. You go and, and work with Sarah, okay? And then as we start to unravel it, and we look at the type of sex that they're having as well. I love the work of Peggy Kleinplatz, who says that the cure for low desire is to create desirable sex. And as we start to unravel the type of sex that they're having, they can see that the actually, no wonder they're not enjoying sex. Now, it's nothing personal to their husband or their partner who they utterly adore However, and I've worked with, I worked with men for many years. So I also have an experience of the other side of the, that, that picture as well. And it's not always as we know about gender and, and it can be uh, the other way around. So the women then start to share something different with the men about how they might like sex, but the men don't get it. The men, this is, you know, and this is a feedback from the husbands and the partners. So I'm, I can't speak firsthand, but it's like, well, I enjoy it. Why can't you? Why does it have to be any different? There can be that element to it. And there's something about the women that I work with. And again, it's only my little world with which I'm seeing this through. But there's a wanting, a willingness for both parties to sort of grow together and evolve together around this. And I think that because there's such a big myth that sex should just happen spontaneously and naturally, and if it doesn't, there's something up with you that it can feel that there's a judgment or a criticism there about the type of sex. But it's not. It's just sort of saying, you know, we get to all, you know, it's like a fitness program can outgrow you. It's like, you know, I'm getting a bit older. I can't run anymore or I need a different type of exercise or I need a different type of food. It's exactly the same. But when it comes to sex, it's so loaded. And so that would be the sort of number one thing that's alive in my practice right now, for sure. And this is huge, huge, huge. So I see a lot of guys who have had little or no experience at all. But my guys who have had some experience will often tell me, and they're in their like, you know, late 40s, 50s, 60s, I want to be having sex like I did in my 20s. And my question is, why? Why do you want to, you know, and what does that mean? And if, you know, do they mean they just want to be banging away, you know, just having basically non-intimate sex? And I, what you just said about what, what you try to show them is to grow together. Sex has the opportunity to grow you and change you and evolve you and deepen you in your relationship. And so, you know, I try to tell these guys, like, what about changing how you have sex, being open to something new, being open to something different? And I, I suspect that many of them, instead of not having sex anymore because their partners have said no now, that if they win, when they're willing to approach the moment instead of the past there's all sorts of magic possible, which is exactly what you're saying your women are telling you. Absolutely. And you know, one of my favorite books is Dr. Peggy Kleinplatz's book, Magnificent Sex, Lessons from Extraordinary Lovers. And I highly, highly recommend it because she's been researching this for years and looking at, and, um, and she decided to, you know, how, how, can we, how can we learn what makes great sex? So she's like, okay, let's go and ask 
the experts, the older people that have been having sex for 20, 30, 40, some even 50 years and still can say that they're having great sex. And also she researched a lot of people with different disabilities because of that. They've had to look at sex differently and re-envision what's possible. And she also went to interview some different sexual diverse groups, people, for example, into BDSM and, and all sorts of different things. And so what they found was through this piece of research that it didn't matter wherever, whoever you were in, in that sort of cohort of people, no matter what you did, the qualities of what made a great lover were the same throughout. It didn't matter whether you were 25 and into BDSM or 70 and had sex for 50 years with the same partner. And it was this willingness to learn and this willingness to get curious and to really have, and she talks in the book about them, not just being communicators, but black belt communicators, their level of communication. And she also talks in the book, a lovely analogy of like, you can go for a Big Mac and you can get instant gratification, quick food, or you can take a cook a gourmet meal. And to cook a gourmet meal takes time and attention. It takes learning and practice. And it's exactly the same when it comes to wonderful sex. It's one of my favorite books and I highly, highly recommend it to anyone listening because it's just got such wisdom in it. And so it's like this different mindset shift towards sex that we both have with our own lives and with our clients that's just so contrary to what we see in the mainstream media um, changes everything so that we can create time to be in, to practice, to explore and learn together. And it doesn't have to be massive big adventures because I think people get scared of like oh if I'm going to learn and try different things it's going to have to be you know big huge things that can feel too much but actually it can just be the simple stuff of how to drop into a kiss in with more presence and more tenderness or more passion you know it can be just a kiss that could be so much to learn just from how to do that differently so so yeah oh my god first of all I'm going to look that book up because I don't know it so thank you for that we can link to it as well in the in the show notes there's so many things that you said that I want to go back to first of all the, the thing about I think you're right that many people get scared about learning new things they think that they need to be swinging from the chandeliers or they're going to have to learn about spanking or something but it's that's all icing on the cake. But really, it's it's bottom line is presence, isn't it? It's like how present are you in this kiss? How present are you in your touch? How present are you right now? Instead of wishing you were thirty years ago. <laughs> totally, and this is the intimate sexuality. It's like the foundations of good lovemaking, good connection with us, with yourself, or with another. Because so many people do try to leap and go, oh, I must be learning tantra or BDSM and these different things. And you might go on to that. You might never. It doesn't matter. It's like, come back to how can we just just be more present with our bodies? And um, how can we feel more? How can we just, we know basic things like breath and sound can have a profound difference to our sexual experience. So it's like coming back to those basics and foundations and then building from there. You know, the word that is like, neon sign in my mind right now though that I think is why people feel nervous of all of this is vulnerability mm. you know it means that you've got to show up more vulnerably you know you have to be willing to communicate to show yourself a bit more to say actually I, I quite like it like this or could you you know that sort of thing and that's quite terrifying, isn't it? Vulnerability, but it's also the, the juicy stuff. It absolutely. And if if you're listening and it's terrifying, it's like how can you so, sort of? What's the next little step you can take with that? 
so that you practice the muscle of vulnerability, because if it's not familiar, it feels even more scary. So it could be coming to work with somebody like us to have a conversation about some of these things, because for for both of us, I'm sure so many people that we speak to, they share things that they've never shared with anybody else. And working with somebody like ours is a way to practice vulnerability and opening up and to find your words and, 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 or it might be a trusted friend or a trusted partner or a trusted lover. There's so many ways that you can do that. And trust is key that you're with somebody that you can trust to open up to. And sometimes the first start place is even saying, I find it really scary to be vulnerable <laughs> and to just start there. But just what what can you do to, to exercise that muscle? Yeah, beautiful. I love that. And like you said, I, I have guys tell me all the time, I've never told anyone this, but you know, and it could be anything from, you know, I'm actually think I might be kinky to I've never kissed anyone to, you know, I'd quite like someone to stroke my back. You know, it's, it's not always the stuff that you would think would be the big, scary things to say to someone. It's often something quite simple that they feel because they've been conditioned. You know, they feel they can't show up and say, I don't feel like using my penis today, but I'd love it if you would do this or could I do that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is where practice time happens because then we're all learners together and, you know, and have it set, having a conversation because I've worked with so many couples who haven't spoke to each other about sex for like years and and think that they don't need to talk, that it should just happen. Or they've got into a pattern of one partner saying to the other, I don't quite like this, but they don't know what they do want. So the other person's felt critical. So they've just decided to shut down and not speak because it was getting too stressful. And so actually saying, and, and you know, it's, um, I, I just, I love these moments with my couples where I just see the, like the transformation of oh gosh, it's okay to ask for that. Or it's actually, I can have that feedback from my partner and not take it personally. And know that it's just that they're trying to get, find the best pleasure in this moment. And I can support that. How amazing. And so just having that time to practice and also to talk about it out of the sexual encounters and to debrief after the sexual encounters. I think the debriefing piece is so important because, wow, I didn't think you'd like to be touched there. What did you like about it? Because you learn so much, not just assuming that because they like touching there, they're going to like it next time and they just like it. Get curious. What is it? Because it might be that that was a real hot spot or it might be that there was just a real intimate closeness at that point. And it's like just digging deeper into curiosity of, of, of each other is just, yeah, it's just magical. So much opens up. <laughs> right. And each of those, like if you follow each of those you know, curiosities or curious paths, there's a million things down each of those paths that could open up, but it all requires, it requires the vulnerability and it requires really, like you said, black belt communication. <laughs> I often talk to my guys about what I call workshop sex, which is pretty much what you're describing, which is experimental stuff. And it's experimental. Not You might be experimenting with something n- new for the first time, but it's more experimental in you are both agreeing to drop into a space where it's okay to ask anything, say anything. You're going to hold each other more gently. You're not going to take it personally. If your partner tells you, oh, that's nice, but could you do it a bit more to the left? Instead of you know thinking, oh, I've done it wrong and shutting down, you're going to say, thank you for telling me how you want that pleasure. You know, and But it does take practice. You're absolutely right. It, it does. And you think about, say, a couple learning to do a dance or a team playing 
of sport. It takes practice to tune in with each other, to be great communicators with each other, all of these things. And, you know, I think seeing sex as like a, a, it's like a dance or a jamming session rather than this sort of trying to put the polished concert on every time just takes the pressure off. And, you know, I remember one client was just amazed that she could just pause during sex. And it's like, oh, I don't have to do anything all the time. And, you know, and you don't know. It's like, let the energy rise and fall. Oh, what do we do next? And, you know, just having these moments. And so practice is just so fundamental and foundational for this. And like you say, you're in the sandbox together playing and it just just becomes more easier and more natural so that when you're in those more spontaneous or more moments that aren't in the workshop space, that you learn so much that then just becomes more second nature with each other. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. The other thing that I meant to touch on before, but, you know, brain, was that you've said a couple of times about how people generally have this assumption that sex should always be spontaneous. You know, that one of us is supposed to suddenly think, I know I'm going to go, you know, make a move on my partner. I'm actually a big fan of scheduled sex, personally. I mean, spontaneous sex is great, and I'm all for that too. But I know, for example, my partner and I, anything could happen. You know, we might like, I could go to him and, he, and be all ready. And he's like, oh, well, I've got a call in five minutes or I've got, you know, so I, I like scheduling it in because you know, it's going to happen, you know, more or less. And it's sexy knowing it's theirs. Like, you know, I've got a four o'clock and I've got a five o'clock, which is with my partner. <laughs> I think that's, you know, especially like, and I think this probably will apply to a lot of the women you work with, you know, as I'm older, how I access my desire and arousal has changed. I mean, do you find that with your with a lot of your women that you work with? Absolutely. And, you know, age, life circumstances, and, you know, so many factors come into play. And what do they call it? Sort of the sandwich generation where you've got the, you know, sometimes you might have kids, older parents and everything, you know, so... So, so, uh, so much changes for so many people. And I think, you know, what you shared is so important because I'm the same with my partner and we don't even, you know, we schedule an intimate time and we go with the flow of how that intimate time might look, but we just know we've got that time for connection. And, you know, I say to my clients, when you went dating, sex was scheduled. It has the illusion of being planned, uh, sort of spontaneous, but you know, how many people get their hair cut, groom their bodies, or might even go and find a new outfit to wear. And then, you know, you've like come back to the house and tidied it all up. You know, you don't see the grungy socks and the food wrappers or whatever it is, you know, and you plan sex. Dating is planned sex. <laughs> you know, it really, really is. And so there's also something about one, you know, planning that time, because if you don't, put it in the diary it's easy for it not to happen it's two making a commitment to you matter to me you know I, I'm going to put the you at your your priority to me and making that happen and then the other thing as well is you know I I enjoy like and I know that's the case with some of my clients it's like there's can be the flirting and the playfulness and the build-up to it you know I might have a shower and make an effort because I'm you know so much time at home and <laughs> pajama bottoms and all these things and you know making an effort to feel good and show up for each other and it doesn't have to be much but it's just that commitment to each other or it might be buying some lovely food in or preparing the room and making the room really beautiful and relaxing after a day on the you know on the computer there's going to be all different elements so I think it's just 
it's a mindset. If you see planned sex as like, oh, but there is an element. I do find this. I sort of sometimes say to people, and I find this personally, there's some days when I really look forward to it. And then there's other days when it can feel a bit like going to the gym. (laughs) And it's like, I'm like, actually, part of me would rather put my feet up, watch a film, do a million other things than get into that zone with my partner. But I have never, ever, ever regretted it when I've done it. And, you know, it's a bit like going to the gym. I've made this commitment to myself and you just have to push yourself a little bit and then, you know, you you enjoy it. (laughs) And that's beautiful. And and again, everything you say makes me think of 30 other things I want to ask you about. One is that, you know, I like the commitment to self and it's the commitment to the relationship. You know, like relation. I mean, my my partner and I have an amazing relationship, but we bring our awareness and attention to it regularly to make sure it's that way. You know, we we tend to it, and part of that is a scheduled intimate time. But and also what you said, like if I know, you know, we've got a date at six o'clock or whatever, and I'm really tired and thinking, how the hell am I going to get into that space or whatever? We don't make any assumptions about what's going to happen if it's intimate space that might include some kind of sexual experience, but it might just be we talk something out or we ask each other, you know, I'm going to do something for you for 10 minutes, you do something for me for 10 minutes, or it doesn't have to be penetrative. It doesn't have to be, you know, active sex. It it might just be that it's intimate. We just, you know, there's no telly on, there's nothing else. We put our phones down and we are in that space with each other. And if if something sexual wants to arise, we're all for it, you know, we might. So, well, you get what I'm saying. I could keep going down that road, but you get it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, 100%. I think it's really important because for some people, their mind is blown that that can happen. And, you know, when I worked with men a lot, you know, they'd be like, well, blue balls and how would I cope with all these things? And I would say, go and have an experience with your partner. Do a scientific experiment and go and have an experience where you don't ejaculate and see how that is. Just get curious about it. And so many would come back and go, oh, I'm okay. (laughs) And it's like, but it also can include that. But it's, but when it's, when for so many people, the measure of the perception of successful intimacy is having some form of penetration. And if that doesn't happen, then somehow it's failed or it's not right, can leave people very um, unsatisfied. Whereas if the measure is sort of more what I call with the intimate sexuality, if the measure is pleasure and the focus is if, if in that presence and deep connection and asking for what you want and negotiating all of these things, people start to find that they can be filled up without having to have penetration as part of it every single time. And also that sometimes leads to more intimacy because as we know, a common thing that happens is someone feels that their expectations are always there for penetration and they don't want that or they don't feel desire for that. So then all intimacy stops because the fear is if I start intimacy, it's going to lead to that. And it's like we sort of see this intimacy in a sort of sort of binary of it's either cuddles and kisses or hot penetrative sex and there's nothing in between and actually letting go of that binary and intimacy can be a whole spectrum of experiences and that changes everything and in fact a couple I just finished working with me they kept they said at the end they said we thought we wanted we came to you thinking we needed more sex but we actually realized what we need is we needed is more intimacy 
and the quality of intimacy has changed in their relationship, like sitting in the bath together and just chatting about the day and putting the phones down and all these things that can get into it in the way of intimacy. Right. And then all of that ultimately leads to better sex, you know, as you think of penetrative sex, because you're forever like blowing on the embers of trust and vulnerability and communication. And so you're keeping the flame kind of going and it's just about when you turn it up into a certain way or not, but that those intimacy dates or what, you know, they're they're crucial. They're bottom line stuff, aren't they? Absolutely. There's one other area I want to take us down, if you will, which is, I'm not even sure how to introduce it. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to dive in there. So I mentioned before about, Um, how my own route to arousal and desire has changed as I've got older. And I've kind of known this a bit, but now I know it from the inside that a lot of my guys, for example, because their bodies have changed less. I mean, maybe they're physically different, but their, their sexual capacity, sexual something hasn't changed all that much that they kind of assume that their partner, their female partner in this instance, that they are that their roots to arousal and desire haven't changed. And so they're still trying to turn them on in the way that they used to, or they're, you know, doing the linear, you know, foreplay, middle and end the same. For me, that's changed so much. And fortunately, you know, I can speak about it. My partner's very open to it and we have good communication, but there's been a bit of a journey there. So a kind of a two-pronged question. One is, is that similar with the women you work with who are say like me of a menopausal age who so their desire and route to arousal may have changed that's one question (laughs) and then the other one is you know what would you say to their partners particularly their male partners about how to be with that yeah so uh, yeah big questions so I think part of this is the bigger conversation that we don't have around menopause right and so because for so many women so much changes doesn't it around menopause not just the roots to arousal how they experience the world a huge number of symptoms that some women can experience so much changes and also you know In the last few years, we're definitely starting to see more of a conversation coming out around menopause with TV programs on national telly and companies having menopause policies for their workplace. So there's definitely a shift, but we have huge, huge shifts to to go on this. And, you know, there's still so much that, oh, she's going through the change and these sort of things. And if couples, you know, some couples aren't talking about these areas of their lives, you know, even for couples, it's, it's, it's even things like periods and and menstruation are are not subjects that are comfortable. And, And obviously sex isn't for so many couples. So I think part, and then for the women, you know, so many women don't know what's happening to their bodies and struggle to get some understanding of what's happened and then the right support for what's happening. Because I've heard so many, in fact, I was having a conversation recently and they were saying about how they were linked to some sort of menopause community about how many women are given antidepressants for menopause as, as the, the solution at the doctors. So that when actually what's needed is HRT or other things. So I think we have to look at it in that bigger picture. <laughs> of where we are as a, as a society around that. So for so many women, you know, sex can often, that I've seen, sex can be the last thing on the agenda when all of this is happening anyway. And I sort of feel that what can happen is because the roots of arousal change, 
women just some women see it as oh how I used to get aroused and do sex doesn't work anymore therefore it's over for me and it can be a place where women shut down and because again menopause and sex is not a great huge conversation out there definitely it's growing but there's still not a huge conversation and I'm just in that deep perimenopausal phase so I can't speak from my own sort of lived experience at you know as, as yet with that so I think if if the culture of the relationship is around vulnerability and conversation and communication then you have the tools to navigate this because it's like oh I'm curious that doesn't just feel good anymore and it doesn't mean what you're doing doesn't feel good or what you do is your fault. It's just, it just doesn't feel good. And so right now it might. Exactly. But it might be, there's a pattern of gosh, we've tried doing this. This is what I've enjoyed for the last 10 years. And then the last five times, it's just not been pleasurable what's going on. So if there's that foundation of good communication and trust in different things, you're going to navigate that from a very, very different place. And what I would say is, is okay, if, if desire and, and you know, for there, there's that sort of, someone said the phrase in menopause, mean uh, men, no pause. Like there's that phase in menopause where women just need to separate off from the world for a while. Like they just literally, when the hormones change, feel they need a lot more alone time. And so that can be something to navigate, but it's like, okay, if sex isn't going to be as it's been, how can you still maintain intimacy together? How can you still maintain connection and how you can have the conversation? So what does it mean for the other partner if you're in a heterosexual relationship? You know, what does it mean for the man who that may bring up a whole load of feelings and, and, um, and things as well. So to have those conversations about how do you meet your own needs and where you might be able to meet each other's and that might be in new and different ways and to be curious around it because, well, what else is possible? Because, you know, that's what happens when often when people have had menopause, medical issues, different things that, as I mentioned earlier on, they revision sex and intimacy and new vistas can open up that they never thought was possible. So, And for me, you've just hit the nail on the head, which is that, you know, many people, regardless of gender, see menopause as a, as a kind of ending of sex or ending of sex how it was. So it's the ending of of something. Whereas actually I feel like it's a portal into a whole new way of being intimate and sexual and and whatever. And there is a bit of an initiation. Well, my experience was there was a bit of an initiation into that, you know, recognizing like, huh, something, something's different here. You know, like, what do we do with this? And there was, you know, just huge amount of potential. It does take the parties involved, you know, if it's a couple, both of them being willing to sit with the difference and go, okay, how do we want to be with this? It does take that, like you said, communication, vulnerability and willingness to do that. And if if I had to give one tip, and actually I I have a feeling that there's something, I feel something, a a possibility for something that I'll talk to you about after. But if I had to give one um, tip would be what we said earlier, which is presence which is what is here right now? Instead of assuming that it's all going to be how it's always been, it's like, well, okay, that didn't work. You know, that's what we've done. What's here right now? I don't know. Let's find out. It's like a treasure hunt. How exciting. Absolutely. And I'm so blessed to know so many women in menopause and through the other side that are having the best sex of their lives. And so <laughs> Rebecca is pointing to herself there, people. <laughs> and nodding, going, yes, it was great before. 
when it was great. <laughs> but now it's like, oh my God, like. <laughs> and so, and, and I and I, I feel the, for, for, for people like you and other people are just so amazing role models. And, you know, because one woman described it to me as like being, whereas in your, in your menstrual cycle, the energy's up and down, up and down. She's like, it's like being plugged into the power source 24-7. And she, she, she said sex has just gone to a whole different level. And, you know, coming back to the book, Magnificent Sex, is that really shows that the myth that sex is going to just fade and be over and not just that book, there was a growth the last few years, again, of people like Joan Price has written a wonderful book about sex and aging, you know, that we can have really great sex as far as we can go with it. And, you know, this myth is it's all going to just sort of shrivel up and, and, and you know, just a, just all ends is, is just absolute rubbish. And I, you know, I for one, I'm going to re- rewrite the scripts and be part of that story. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And what you're really highlighting to me, what I'm seeing is if you think about historically, we didn't live in the old age and we didn't talk about sex publicly or openly. And then there's all the conditioning, you know, and for many women, there was a kind of, if sex hasn't been good or hasn't been working for you, then when you hit menopause, it's like you have um, an agreed upon, okay time to push the no button now. Whereas if you are having good sex and you hit menopause, you might be thinking, how do I take this over the threshold of menopause? And I think now we live at a time, we're so blessed, you know, so I feel quite tearful. We live at a time where we do live older and healthier and we can talk more about it. So there's like a whole new conversation maybe opening up. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm very excited about this. <laughs> I'm seeing it in a whole whole new way. Yeah, thank you. I could talk to you forever, but I want to ask, is there anything that about your work or that you feel is really important for people to know or hear or that you want to tell us about that I haven't asked? <laughs> hmm. I think my if there's one thing I'd like to say is just to really emphasize that this is just lifelong learning. And I think, you know, that we think with sex, oh, we've nailed it. That's it now. And but, but we, it's madness because we don't think that in any other aspects of our life, <laughs> you know, and it's just go get curious. I mean, I've been doing this work like you probably nearly 20 years. It's been involved in sexuality and, you know, 10 years as a private practice over 10 years. And I'm still learning. I'm still learning. And it blows me away how much I don't know. And so there is so much to learn and it's such a fulfilling journey. And there's so many different ways to learn. You know, if you, there's amazing Instagram accounts or YouTube places to follow. There's online courses, there's workshops, there's people like you and I, you know, 10 years ago, there was hardly any of this around and it's, uh, it's amazing. So it's just, it, yeah, just go learn, just go explore and go follow your curiosities. <laughs> Beautiful. I love that. Thank you. And so- then. I was just going to say with my and with my work, I uh, work one to one or well one to two with women and couples, and I do a program where I take people on a journey with where they are now and where they want to get to. We have a lot of fun, and there's just you know because often people come to me, this area of their life is quite heavy, and it's like for me bringing the fun and lightness back or reigniting that for the igniting that for the first time. 
and we go on a journey together and it's just absolutely brilliant. So please check out my website if you want to find out more about that. I've also got a little YouTube channel and I'm about to launch a podcast, which I'm so excited about. So I will, uh, if you follow me um, via my website, Instagram, YouTube, you'll find out all about that. But also feel free to reach out if you've got any questions about anything as well. Beautiful. And we'll we'll link to all of that in the show notes. We'll have your website, YouTube channel, podcast, and there was something else you said, but whatever, we'll have it all <laughs> show notes so they can find you. And oh, I know um, your social media links. That was the other thing. Yeah, exciting. I'm so grateful to, for everything that you you bring and do and your perspectives. I could talk to you for hours. We might have to just come back another time and we can open up all the doors we didn't even open. But um, thank you so much. Lovely. And you can come join me on my podcast sometime. <laughs> thank you. It's been a real pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Sexual Alchemy Podcast. I'm Rebecca Lowry, and I am super excited to invite you to the upcoming online Festival of Sexuality. It's taking place online April 7th to the 10th, 2022, and you can sign up for free on my website and using the link in the show notes below. I've got an incredible lineup of superstar presenters with fascinating topics around sexuality, pleasure, intimacy, and more. It's free to sign up and you'll receive news, special offers, and everything you need to join us for four days of fun, learning, discussions, and celebrating being the magnificent sexual being that you are.